There's a little saying going around, thank God it's Friday. I'm sure many of you have heard it, and just possibly some of you may subscribe to it. It expresses the interesting thought that perhaps Friday is a special day to give thanks to God because work is over for the week and a long weekend of leisure can now take place and we, we can relax. It reflects a little bit the thinking of Adam Smith who, who wrote in 1776 his famous treatise, The Wealth of Nations. This Scottish professor suggested that most of us work in order to obtain that which we really want in life. That work is, is secondary to our main interest and that whether we are productive or not is inconsequential as long as we can amass enough of these world's resources to give us the things that we want most. And that will ensure that we fulfill our dreams and all the possibilities of what it means to be alive. We also try to give a good face to our work. No one wants to be lazy, of course. And so most of us working in factories endure the monotony and the the compelling line in which we work, the toil that goes on in day-after-day affairs, or we get on the train in the morning and ride to our jobs of, of stress and demand, or we administer and guide the affairs of our corporate structures in such a way that the the bottom line will always look better than it did the quarter before. We pretend we do it all with great enthusiasm and vigor. We're like the bicyclist who in the Iowa six-day bike trip, as the press reports it at least, was called to by the the passing motorist, having fun, and the cyclist replied, I have to, it's my vacation. <laughs> we, we need to be what we think we ought to be in order to satisfy the demands of the culture around us and, and some of the things within us as well tell us we, we just need to be good workers. We need to be hard players because that's what life is really about in the 90s. Well, ever since President Grover Cleveland signed legislation declaring Labor Day as a holiday weekend some 99 years ago this date, we have occasion to stop and to think about our work. And the scripture has a way of guiding us in these thoughts. 
And I would like to ask the scripture a few questions this morning and and see if we can develop a a kind of perspective that may not be precisely, in fact, it probably is not at all like the culture in which we live, where according to polls, over 25% of the people are unhappy with what they're doing, and I have reason to believe it's even more than that. What does the Bible say about work? Where did work come from? In passing, let me remark that work is one of those intrinsic things in life. It is such a part of us that we all know what it is, but find it very difficult to describe. Just think for a minute. If someone said to you, what is work? Schoolwork, daily work, housework. What is work? Because for some it's work and for others it's play. The very identical exercise. What is work? It's something like St. Augustine wrote regarding time, which is also very much a part of us. And he says, if no one asks me, I know. If I wish to explain to him who asks, I know not. For Work like time is one of those elusive things when it comes to definition, but it's a thing that's perceived simply because it's integral to our lives. It's part of us, and there's no escaping it. It reminds us of the apostolic injunction, he who does not work will not eat. And indeed, if Nobody works, nobody will eat. Imagine if everybody went off work for a few months and nobody did anything. We would all be starved to death. For it is true man doesn't live by bread alone, but man does need bread. The scripture has something to say about where this work came from. If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, the first page in the Bible, essentially, we read about work immediately. As God created the world, he came to the end of his creation and he looked about and he said, I'm going to make man in my image. There will be a creature that will reflect my very being because, according to verse 26, in order that he may have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the beasts, and so on. The very reason for creating man is that he may be empowered to have dominion. If you read the second account of creation, chapter 2 of Genesis, the fifth verse says that God looked and there was no creature, no person, no human being to till the ground. And if you read on to verse 15, it says to till and to keep the ground, to care for it, to value it. God needed someone to work in that perfect creation that he had made. He looked at everything and said it's good, but someone needs to be there to till, to keep the ground. I'll create someone in my image, a worker like me. And the very essence of humanity, 
of being human is to be a worker, as God is a worker. So human beings came into existence to be workers with God, his chosen creatures to be productive in an untarnished world. You know, some people who say, thank God it's Friday, think that paradise is going to be nothing but leisure. You're wrong, because paradise originally was not leisure, it was work. It was being productive. It was being like God. And so work was not bad. Work is good. It belongs to the perfect world. It's one of those creation ordinances that was always there and meant by God to be part of what it is to be human. There's no way to understand yourself or anyone unless you understand a human being in terms of what the human being is by way of capacities and abilities, what the human being does to be productive in this world. We do not like to be defined by what we do, but nonetheless you cannot deny it because it is such a major consideration in the very biblical definition of who we are. Well, if that's work, that marvelous part of us from the very beginning in that garden of perfection, what happened to it? Well, you go on to chapter 3 in Genesis and you discover what happened to it. When man rebelled against his creator and took things into his own hands. In verses 17 to 19 of that chapter we read, Cursed is the ground because of you, God said to the human beings. Notice he didn't say cursed is work. He said cursed is the ground. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will it bring forth to you. In other words, that ground is going to give not only the products that are necessary and that you've cultivated in and amidst those things, there are going to be the thorns and the thistles. And even strenuous work will not be able to prevent this. You're going to work, it says in verse 18, by the sweat of your face. You'll perspire because of your efforts, but there will be those things that will thwart your purposes. There's a little parable that Jesus told about leaving the weeds in the wheat field until the harvest. Do you recall a recognition of the kind of world we're living in? Because he saw the strenuousness and the toil of work as being a natural part of living in a world which sin has cursed. You know, nobody likes sin and nobody likes the results of sin. That's the kind of world in which we are living, a fallen world. And Jesus 
lived in it too. We think of Jesus as a working person. There's an interesting little poem by Stuttered Kennedy. I'd like to read it to you. It talks about the carpenter of Nazareth. I wonder what he charged for chairs at Nazareth. Did men try to beat him down and boast about it in the town? I bought it cheap for half a crown from that mad carpenter. And did they promise and not pay, put it off another day? Or did they break his heart that way, my lord the carpenter? I wonder, did he have bad debts? And did he know my fears and frets? The gospel writer here forgets to tell about that carpenter. But that's just what I want to know. Ah, Christ in glory, here below, men cheat and lie to one another. It's hard to be a carpenter. Yes, it is. It's difficult to be a carpenter or to be any kind of worker. But work is part of our lives as ordained by God from the beginning. And we live in a world that is under the curse of sin. But the Bible doesn't leave us there. What does the scripture say about this? Is it hopeless? No, not at all. Not at all. Miroslav Volf in his new book, Work in the Spirit, published by Harper's, writes about the fact that our humanness is found in God's relation to us. That's the image that is in all of us, and we all share this. But our individual identities, as we think about our specific tasks in life, is found in our communion with God through the Holy Spirit. And each of us has something else to offer, something distinctive according to the gifts and the talents that have been entrusted to him or to her. And it is God alone who, who knows the total pattern. We only see the jagged side of the back of the tapestry. He's the potter. We are the clay. We do not know what he has in mind, but we do know he has a master plan. We're part of it. And how many people there are who are perfectly miserable, always looking at someone else who has another set of abilities, who's gained another position in life, wondering why they haven't been so blessed. And it borders on the edges of jealousy, often in bitterness and hatred and resentment. And it destroys our peace and our joy as we work because we want to work at something that someone else can do so much better. But we're reminded in the scripture that God calls each of us specifically. And Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22, tells us that we all need to work as unto the Lord and to no one else. 
And it may be difficult, but it's our assignment. There's a great book published many years ago. It's become a, a classic. It's Henry Drummond's little book called The Greatest Thing in the World, and it's about love. And if you haven't read it, read it, read it. But Henry Drummond has another side to him as a, as a theologian, a thinker about how the, the mind of the Christian sees the world. And this is what he wrote in connection with our subject this morning. There are two classes of Christians, he says, those who have God's will in their character, and those who, in addition, have God's will in their career. Those who belong to the first class are really outside a great part of God's will. They understand the universal part of their lives. And this is in some sense noble and good. But they miss the private part. The secret whisperings of God in the ear. The constant message from heaven to earth. What they miss is that God has not only made us for worship, but he's made us for service. And we thank God for Monday through Friday, as much as we thank him for Sunday morning worship. For when we are minded to see the wholeness of what it means to be committed to our Lord, we see that it includes all of life. And not just a snippet here and a particle there. As such, we honor God. We work with him and we build with him. The work also provides benefits. Loving God above all, but loving neighbor too. And loving the neighbor as we love ourselves. 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, Paul tells us that we work to provide for ourselves and for our families. That's an honorable thing to do, to take care of those who are dependent upon us and who are closest to us. But he also writes in Ephesians 4, the 28th verse, that we work so that we can have that which is necessary to help others who are in need. Those who cannot work and be productive. Those who for one reason or another have not found it possible to even care for themselves. That's godly. And that's part of the reason that God has given all of us the marvelous opportunities that we have in a country like this. With so much freedom. And so many avenues of education to equip ourselves and hone the, the resources that we have, all the potential that is ours as youngsters and children, as young people growing through life. The service not only of self, but of family, of those in need, and of all mankind. And some of us are tradesmen, manufacturers, retailers, people who render service. We do not address directly the meaning of life and the vocation we have, 
but yet we render a service with a certain integrity and a sense of excellence and a desire to satisfy a deep need. And sometimes it may look very superficial, but it never is, because every human being is part of God's family for whom Christ died, someone whom you can help and assist in life's pilgrimage, someone whom you can encourage and strengthen, for whom you can pray. And there's something about a Christian who serves in a community in any capacity that is different in, in kind because of that dimension of understanding of who a person really is. And some of you are teachers and authors and editors. And some of you very directly speak to people about the meaning of life. And to you is given that very direct opportunity. Some of you are employers who can exploit and abuse and injure. And some of you who are employees who can rob an employer and squeeze out of them all you can get, forgetting about their stress and their willingness to risk things in a responsible way so that you may be, may be profitably employed. But all of us live with others, can speak to others, can be an inspiration to others, and we can pray for others. We're all co-workers with God, having dominion over all that he created. That's what it means to be human, workers productive with our God. Every generation stands on the shoulders of the previous one. And in the accumulating effects of our work, we are productive for the years to come, and only God knows how it's all going to fit together ultimately. But we go to the workplace each day. We pursue our vocations, knowing that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And the work we have done, as Revelation 14 states will follow after us. Yea, as the psalmist said, the work of our hands establish thou it. For we work as to the Lord, and we find joy in being productive. As Christians, dear friends, we have what it takes to live in this world. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for being the God of all of life, for creating us to reflect your own character. And that makes us workers, workers with you and with one another. Bless our efforts. Give us patience in a sinful world. Give us the graciousness of heart that you have 
the patience and the love that you exhibit each day to us. And help us to be faithful, to be productive, and to rejoice in every possibility of service in your name. Through Jesus, our Lord, a faithful worker for us, we pray. Amen.